In this video podcast, we take a look at the first of our set of core business processes, that being the procurement process. As we look at this business process and others to follow, there are a set of key questions that we want to make sure that we focus on in each of the business processes to make sure that we have an understanding of the core essential elements of that particular process. Those questions are, first of all, a fairly obvious one, what is the purpose of the process? Why is the business engaging in this process and what does it solve or what does it produce or do for the business? What is the trigger? Remember in a previous discussion we mentioned that a trigger is the action that begins the execution of a business process. And so what is it that triggers this particular business process to begin its execution? What are the steps in the business process? And closely related to that question, what is the purpose of each step? A particular business process may compose into three, four, five, 15, 20, or any given number of steps in the process. Each of those steps is presumably there for some purpose. And so what is the purpose of each step? What functional areas in the organization are involved in each step? That's a critical element for us to consider because it influences who from the organization will be involved, what their goals and what their focus is, and how they relate to other functional areas within the organization through this particular business process. What information is processed in each of the steps in a given business process? And in particular, we're looking at things like what information is created, what information is consumed or used as its final usage, what information is modified in a given business process step. And then what information is exchanged? Among the various steps in the business process, what information is passed from step to step to step to record the execution of the business process for tracking purposes? We introduced a concept previously that comes into play in great significance in regards to understanding a business process, and that is the document concept. So as we look at a particular business process, what documents are created in that business process, what documents are used, how are they used, what documents are modified, and so on. Keep in mind that in ERP systems in general, and in SAP ERP in particular, all information moves throughout the system in documents of one sort or another. So there are literally dozens of different types of documents that exist within the system, and those documents are the key focal point of information exchange. Going back to some of the questions that we mentioned previously, documents often trigger the execution of other business processes. Various steps in a business process frequently revolve around the creation or modification of elements in business documents. And so understanding those elements is a key element in the process. 
I would suggest that one of the things that you do is as you are studying a given business process to make sure that you truly have a complete understanding of it, you return to this set of questions and make sure that you can answer each of these for any of the business processes that we'll look at this semester or beyond that, any business process that you might be examining at any point in the future. The procurement process, also alternately referred to as the purchasing process, or another alternative terminology used to describe it, the requisition to pay process, is obviously a key element in probably every organization that exists. I would be hard-pressed to think of any organization that exists that does not buy things. And so while they may not employ the procurement process exactly as it is described here, certainly this is going to be a fairly universal process that we see in an organization. The requisition to pay terminology that you see here is descriptive of something that we had described previously whereby a business process is frequently described by the step that begins the process and the step that ends the process. And so you'll note that the procurement process does begin with a purchase requisition document. And the last thing that we do in the procurement process is actually pay for the materials. So notice here in this diagram, which comes from your textbook, the sequence of steps in the procurement process are the creation of a requisition, the creation and sending of a purchase order, the receipt of a shipment, the receipt of the invoice, and lastly, the sending of payment. You'll notice that in this particular sample diagram, there are a set of functional areas referenced. Um, the creating and sending of the purchase order is associated with the purchasing functional area. The receiving of the shipment is associated with the warehouse area. Receiving the invoice and sending payment is associated with accounting. And I skipped over creating of the requisition being associated with the warehouse, simply because while that certainly is an accurate scenario, there are many other functional areas that can create requisitions as well. So of the four functional areas associated with the steps here, realize that certainly the create requisition one could have many other functional areas listed there as well. Notice the documents that we will talk about in conjunction with this process, the purchase requisition, the purchase order, packing list, goods receipt document, invoice and payment. I would really encourage you as we go throughout our discussion of the various processes this semester to leverage the experiences that you've had in ERP SIM. Certainly one of the things that is a goal of our use of ERP SIM is to give you experience in using SAP ERP in a realistic manner. But beyond that, another key goal is to help you understand how these particular business processes are executed. And so, presumably, you have had the opportunity to engage in procurement in our simulation activities to this point, or if you haven't had the opportunity to execute that yet within your team, hopefully you will at some point in the very near future. And so that experience should assist you 
in understanding what we are talking about here in regards to the business process and likewise the inverse of that the things that we will talk about will hopefully give you greater insight into the execution of your ERP SIM organization. It's important to note when thinking about various business processes that there are different ways that we can think about the execution of business process steps. In this model, which is taken from your textbook, you can see that the procurement process consists of five different steps. Well, let me show you a different view of what is fundamentally the same process. This is the procurement process. The procure to pay process would be yet another way that we could describe this. And notice here, the procurement process is broken down into a little bit more detail associated with some of the process steps. We have the purchase requisition, we have vendor selection, we have purchase order creation, we have vendor notification, we have the vendor shipping the items to us, the goods receipt, the invoice receipt, and the payment to vendor. So what has been added here are a few process steps that are implied within the other diagram, but in this particular sequence they are spelled out more specifically. The point of this is to realize that if you understand a given business process, then if you're looking at one representation of it in one source versus a different representation in another source, you may notice slight differences, but ultimately the process itself is still a very logical, consistent sequence. And I really want to focus on that element of this being a very logical process. Business processes have been created and have been standardized because they do represent a very effective way for us to do something. So whereas you might look at this business process and say, well, I need to memorize the eight steps associated with this, I think really if you understand the process, it really is quite logical to think through them and be able to replicate the business process steps on your own without necessarily having to devote significant effort to memorizing these. What I'd like to do is talk about some of the key elements associated with the various business process steps, introduce some things that weren't talked about in your textbook that are key elements associated with these business process steps, and hopefully leave us when we're done with a better understanding of the procurement process overall. The trigger to the procurement process, as we have seen, begins with the creation of a purchase requisition. And so let's think about just that issue of a trigger for a moment. If we're looking at this from a computational point of view and a programming logic perspective, then the logic here is fairly straightforward. Essentially, the purchasing process sits in an idle state until a purchase requisition is created within the system. And as soon as a new purchase requisition is created within the system, this process can now begin. Now certain steps in the process need to be guided or assisted by uh, people making various decisions. Other elements are automated, but the procurement process is triggered when a purchase requisition is created. Purchase requisitions have existed long before there were ERP systems. 
A purchase requisition is simply a document that gets created within an organization that instructs the purchasing department to go out and acquire a specific good or a specific service for us to use in our organization at a particular time. Now what's illustrated here on this slide, and this diagram comes from your textbook, so you have seen it before, is an illustration of what a purchase requisition would look like if it were paper-based. So keep in mind that this is not necessarily a printout of a document from an ERP system, but rather represents all of the information that's contained in a purchase requisition and shows what this document would look like if we were to create a paper-based facsimile, such as what organizations have been using for quite some time. And notice the various elements associated with this. In section one of the illustration, we have various obvious things, such as when this particular request was submitted, when the item is needed, who's requesting the information, how can we reach them, and where would they like the item delivered. In section two, there's a listing of items that are to be acquired. Now, note a few things here. First of all, as illustrated here in this purchase requisition, we certainly can requisition very specific items even down to the point of specifying material numbers, such as are done here. But it is very common for purchase requisitions to be of a more general nature, and therefore not reference specific material numbers. For example, a salesperson might need a new laptop to use in executing their job function. So they might send a requisition to the purchasing department and specify certain features that they would need in a laptop, but ultimately leave it up to the individuals in purchasing to select the best laptop for them based on a relationship that they have with a particular vendor. So in that case, there would not be a specific material number associated with items that have been requested. And even in the context of an ERP system, it is possible for us to submit a purchase requisition that contains a description or a specification for what we want, as opposed to it being a specific material number reference. Now, of course, if we know exactly what we want, listing very particular items such as material numbers give us a way of requesting items without there being any potential for discrepancy or an invalid item being requested. In section number three of this facsimile purchase requisition, you'll notice a recording of when the purchase order was created associated with this purchase requisition who the order was placed with and other elements of the actual purchase. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the purchase order specifically. But notice this is an example of when after this particular document is processed and the next step in the business process is executed that we come back and record key facts in this particular document that updates the status. So if someone were to go and check on this particular purchase requisition in the system, they would see the results of the execution of the purchase order creation. 
in step in section four, excuse me, of this particular document, we see who it is that requisitioned the item. And one of the things that we would frequently see that is not specifically noted here would be things such as perhaps supervisor signatures or other people in an organization signing off on this, indicating that it is appropriate for these items to be purchased and authorizing this. Now purchase requisitions can be created manually or they can be created as a byproduct of other business processes. And we have seen that quite clearly in our activities with ERP SIM where we have seen purchase requisitions created as a part of the MRP process. So that would be an example of a given business process actually creating output that would be a trigger to another business process. And you'll also get the experience, if you have not already had the experience, of being able to create manual purchase requisitions in the context of ERP SIM. So in fact, many of those things you'll see in the future. Let me also mention that related to purchase requisitions, it's important to note the things that are not listed here. Notice that there are no prices listed on a purchase requisition. Notice at least up until the point where purchasing went back and filled in additional information, there is no reference of who this should be ordered from as far as the vendor that's going to fulfill this. If we put ourselves in the shoes of the person who's doing the requisition, they fundamentally don't care where we get the item from, and they certainly don't have any knowledge of what the company might actually be paying for these individual items, so they just put down the things that they do know, which is what they need, when they need it, how many they need, and where they'd like it delivered. And I go back to something I mentioned a few moments ago. If we understand the intent of the purchase requisition and we understand how it's used in an organization, it becomes very easy for us to answer questions about it that we might see on a test or in other contexts. Things like, does a purchase requisition contain prices? Well, once again, if we think back to what we know about the purchase requisition and how it works, it's very easy for us to assert that no purchase requisitions do not actually contain prices associated with the items that are listed. One of the things that was listed as a process step in the more elaborated version of the procurement process that I gave you was the specific business process step of figuring out who is going to be our source of supply for a given item in a particular requisition. Now if you think about it, we might see one requisition actually resulting in multiple vendors being selected to fulfill the items that are listed there. And so one of the questions that we have is, who is going to fulfill the particular items that have been requisitioned? And there are different ways that this can be accomplished. In fact, we might be able to fulfill a particular requisition through something called internal sourcing. Internal sourcing is simply the idea that we don't actually have to order it from an outside purveyor because we can either make the item ourselves 
or perhaps we already have it in stock, but it's just at a different location and has to be transferred to our facility. And so if we're a bicycle manufacturing company and some of our salespeople have requisitioned bicycles to take with them to a trade show, we certainly don't need to be ordering those from another company. We would simply manufacture those or transfer them out of our existing warehouse stock in order to fulfill the particular requisition. So in this case, instead of a purchase requisition resulting in the creation of a purchase order, we have a purchase requisition resulting in the creation of a stock transport order. Notice some similarity in terminology there. Instead of a purchase order, it's a stock transport order. Now we won't go into the stock transport order in great detail, but I did want to point out this concept of internal sourcing and the fact that many times we will have requisitions in our in our business operations that we can fulfill internally. This is really one of the benefits of having a centralized purchasing organization that takes in all of the requisitions for the entire company. They are potentially in a better position to know what's going on in all of the different parts of the operation and therefore connect up the various sourcing requirements throughout the entire spectrum of the requisitions that are received. If we're not in a situation where we can source a particular item internally, then we begin the process of finding an external vendor. Many organizations will employ something called a source list. And a source list is simply an established set of vendors that we have a business relationship with and therefore we can send them purchase orders and engage in purchasing with. With this source list, this also brings with it the idea that we can, within our ERP system, establish certain criteria that will do an automatic assignment of a particular vendor. So for example, there might be a set of vendors that all fulfill a various part that we order with great frequency. And perhaps one of the things that we do is every week in our system, we update the price quotes that we get from different vendors for those particular items. Well, we can set up our system to simply award the purchase order to the company that gives us the best price that particular week. And so, as the purchase requisitions go into the system, we can assign them to vendors in an automated fashion. In the context of ERP SIM, that's what we do. We run a transaction to do automated purchase order assignment, and it uses the established list of vendors and the logic that has been established within our company for making the assignment, and it sends them out to those vendors and makes the assignment automatically. Let's talk about the source list for just a moment here. This is a key element in business control for many organizations. And many companies make it a policy of our ordering from those companies that are represented on our source list. And if we ever want to add a company to the source list, there is a particular process that must be followed. And typically, this will involve 
more than one person in the organization taking time to investigate the particular source to make sure that it actually is a bona fide organization. We might collect various statistics related to our relationship with this business as we're starting the relationship to make sure that they are going to be able to fulfill our needs on an ongoing basis. One of the things that this does is help prevent the potential for fraud in an organization. Historically, one of the ways that people have been able to embezzle from businesses is by creating a phony supplier and then placing orders with that phony supplier, having that phony supplier send invoices that our company then pays. Well, in fact, in this overall transaction, no merchandise ever changed hands, and it was simply a way for an employee committing fraud to get money out of our organization. Well, if we don't take the time to investigate vendors and don't take the time to vet our source list to make sure that these really are bona fide businesses, we do open ourselves up to that kind of problem. And so many companies are very, very particular about who they will put on their source list and establishing a process so that more than one person has to actually sign off on and approve a business before it can be added. If we are not in a position to do automatic assignment, one of the things that will frequently happen with purchase requisitions as we are selecting a vendor is following the RFQ, the request for quotation, or it's also sometimes referred to as the bidding process. And this is something I've been involved with from a business perspective before, the creation of these bid documents and handling these in conjunction with sending them out to vendors and so on. The way this particular process works is, we begin of course with the purchase requisition. The purchase requisition goes into the system and something has been requisitioned that we don't know who we're going to buy from. And then perhaps maybe we have never purchased this item before at all. Or perhaps it's a rather significant item. Maybe for example our company is looking at buying a hundred new laptops and we're not exactly sure who to buy those laptops from. We have a specification, we know what we want, but we really don't have a particular model in mind. Well, in that situation, what we do is we prepare this RFQ, this request for quotation, and we send it out to various vendors who look over our request and respond with their quotation. And they tell us, we can sell you this product for this price, and they give us their quotation for fulfilling this particular item that we're interested in. Well, we then evaluate the quotation, and we award a purchase order to the company that's actually going to get the order from us, and for the other companies, they're notified in that case that they are rejected. This is a very common element of the purchasing process and it's a good example of one business process spawning another business process. So as we are in the midst of the purchasing process we may have to execute the RFQ process 
as one of the results of a business process step. Now we'll come back to this thought in a later discussion, but one of the great things that with an ERP system is how it can allow us to streamline and automate the overall RFQ process. We can send requests for quotations to vendors electronically, and in some cases we may get instantaneous or near instantaneous replies. The company that I worked for in the past that engaged in purchasing via bid actually created a bid document. And this was a very large document that typically when you printed it out would be 30 to 40 pages that listed all of the items that this business was planning on purchasing. And altogether, all of the items listed represented several million dollars in purchases. Well, these bid documents, this was done once a year, were sent out to various suppliers by way of FedEx. And we would prepare these documents, we would stuff them into various FedEx envelopes, and as I can recall, we actually sent them to over a hundred different vendors. And the vendors were given a date by which they had to reply, and so by a particular date, we would receive the quotations back from the vendors, we would put them into a spreadsheet program, and we would manually make the evaluation and awarding of bids. This was something that several people in the organization worked on for several weeks, almost exclusively. Well, in an organization now, this can be automated to the point that really no one has to spend a lot of time involved in it, and we can still get all of the benefits that would have been associated with the old system. So, in thinking about our purchasing process, we have the purchasing requisition that is created to begin this process. We have the vendor selection that is the next element in our business process. And then we have the creation of the purchase order. Now the purchase order is a very important business document. Even apart from its importance within ERP, in business, the purchase order is a document that gets a lot of attention. It is a formal request that we send to a vendor indicating a specific order that we are placing with them. The important thing to note about a purchase order is it is a legally binding document. And once a vendor accepts a purchase order, that is considered a contract. And there have been numerous court cases filed over the years that revolve around that particular issue. And companies that will send a purchase order out and then later in some way there's some kind of dispute. And the entire court case revolves around the fact that what is in writing on the purchase order is what governs the overall transaction. Now notice one of the elements in what I just indicated, and it's a subtle but very important point here. A purchase order is not a contract, but a purchase order, when it is sent to a vendor and the vendor accepts it, that is then a contract. And so, in this particular situation, notice we're shown a sample purchase order. We see that the purchase order includes in section one, 
the company that is being requested to fulfill this particular order. In this case, uh, Black Widow Skateboards. You'll notice in section two, we see really a lot of key facts associated with this purchase order. When we create a purchase order and send it to a vendor, we will identify that purchase order with a purchase order number. And vendors, when they correspond with us about a particular purchase, will reference that purchase order number for the sake of making sure that we can keep our accounting and other records straight. So continuing in section two there, we see the purchase order date, we see the delivery date, we see how the items are going to be shipped to us, we see the FOB point, we'll come back to that in a later discussion, and we see the payment terms referenced here. Notice we also in section three show quantities, material numbers, and other descriptions and such for the individual items that are being offered, and then we see various totals reflected and an appropriate authorizing signature in section number four at the bottom. The important thing to realize is, as I stated a moment ago, if we send this to a vendor and the vendor says, okay, we accept this, we will fulfill this purchase order, and they ship us these items, then this purchase order is the governing document of that transaction. Now that means a few things. First of all, we can send a purchase order, let's say this one for example, to Black Widow skateboards and say we want 50 entry-level skateboards and we list the price as $3.40. Maybe it was a typo or maybe we intended to buy these for $3.40. Well in that case the vendor will likely look at that and say I'm not selling that company skateboards for $3.40 and so they will reject the purchase order. Now if they aren't paying attention, which isn't likely for most vendors, but if they aren't paying attention and we list the unit price there of $3.40 and the totals are appropriate based on that particular figure and they ship us those skateboards and then try and bill us for a different amount, we're not obligated to pay that. We are only obligated to pay what we have agreed to pay based on our purchase order. And so that's why I say the purchase order is a very, very important document because it specifies what we're ordering, the quantities, and then also other key elements associated with the terms of sale. There are many different ways that purchase orders can be transmitted to vendors. We can, of course, print these out and transmit them via hard copy. That historically has been the way that this is done. And then, of course, fax machines came on the scene and it became very common for these to be transmitted by way of fax. And then I suppose the next step in the evolution was to email these to vendors. Then we have more sophisticated contemporary techniques such as electronic data interchange or a purchase order being translated into an XML document and being sent to a vendor that way. 
the benefit of EDI or XML is the ease in which the purchase orders can go into the vendor's computer system, thereby speeding up their fulfillment process. I worked for a company many years ago before EDI and XML became commonplace that actually invested in a software system whereby customers could fax in orders and the receiving fax machine was actually a computer program that would scan the purchase order and electronically put it into the ordering system. So for example, if it were looking at this particular order right here, it would employ OCR technology to read the quantities and materials and the prices and so on so that a customer service representative or salesperson would not have to actually key things in. That was really a step in the overall progression that we see here in the automated acceptance and transmission of purchase orders. And obviously if your company is in the process of or is in the business of selling things then you want to receive as many purchase orders as you possibly can for the items that you are selling and of course you want to turn those orders around quickly so any way that you can facilitate the receipt of those items into your system is something that a lot of companies are very interested in so we have the purchase order that gets sent to the vendor now at this point the vendor has a lot of work to do they may have to make the items, they may have to retrieve them from their inventory, there's a lot of other things that they may have to do. But from our perspective, once we send the purchase order, the next step is for us to actually receive the merchandise. And so you'll notice the sequence here for goods receipt. We have a purchase order, it gets sent to a vendor, the vendor then does whatever it is that they need to do, they ship the items to us, and then that results in goods receipt. Now the goods receipt process has a number of documents associated with it that bear our attention. One is a packing list and this is something that travels with the items that we have ordered typically attached to a box or inside of the materials that are ordered in some way. The packing list accompanies the shipment to indicate exactly what it is that we have been sent. And so you'll notice in section one here of this packing list we see who it is that is the vendor that is sending us these items. In section two we see various facts associated with this, when the order was created, when the company fulfilled it, who was it that packed the items, who was it that checked the items and ultimately shipped them out to us, how it was shipped. This just so the company can trace back through the transaction if there are any questions about it. Notice in this section too as well that we see a reference to the customer, which is us in this case, the customer's purchase order. So when I look at this particular packing list, I can see, okay, this shipment is associated with this other particular purchase order. And that is important typically because we may have a single purchase order that results in a number of shipments, maybe things coming in separate boxes, things shipped during different days. And so it's an important element in our reconciliation process to be able to connect these things up. 
Notice other facts related to the packing list in section four. We see a listing of the individual items. We see their material numbers. Notice something that we don't see in other documents that we have looked at to this point, and that is the weight associated with the item. I've also seen on packing lists before box dimensions and sizes represented. And both of those things are very important because one of the things that the packing list is used for is managing the shipping process. And when we're talking about shipping things, prices and other elements of the shipping decision are often based on the weight and size of the packages. And so in this case, we know that this box has a weight of 462 and a half pounds. And you can see here that that's based on the weight of the particular products and how many are in this particular package. This is very commonplace in warehouse management systems that have automated picking or in systems that employ human pickers but machine checking for the checking of an order to be done based on weighing the finished box to make sure that it matches up with what it is expected to. So imagine, for example, if we worked for Black Widow skateboards in their warehouse and someone in our company put all of these items in a box and brought the box to us and said, okay, this, this is ready to ship out to the customer. Well, a very easy way for us just to check to make sure that things are as they should be, we could weigh the box and make sure that the box is close to 462 and a half pounds. And if we weigh it and discover that it's 550 or 287, then we know that clearly there's a problem here somewhere because the weights are not correct. I worked in the past for a, a book publishing company that did checking of orders based on weight and the tolerances were very very tight because of course books don't vary in their weight significantly so in their automated system they really employed a rather sophisticated weighing system to double check this and what was challenging was at different times of the year when there were different humidity levels that would affect the overall weight of the books and so they had to uh, account for that in their checking formulas for a fudge factor that would be appropriate based on the season of the year. Notice another thing that's listed here on the packing list before we leave it, and that is a back order listing. And so we might have a situation where a customer has ordered 50 of something for us, but at this point we can only ship the customer 40. Well, in that case, we might list order quantity 50, ship quantity 40, 10 back order quantity. And the back order quantity simply means that these items will be sent along later once they actually come in or once we have them available, but we wanted to ship these out to the customer. Notice at the bottom of this particular packing list, there's a comment, back ordered items will ship as they become available. Going back to the importance of the purchase order in specifying the overall terms of sale, many companies will list on their purchase orders statements like back orders not accepted, or they'll even include very specific instructions about how back orders are to be handled. And so in that case, we might see a situation where on the packing list it might say 
order quantity 50, ship quantity 40, back order quantity 0. Because the company said, we just want you to ship us what you have and we don't want to back order any. We might also see a situation whereby because the company said they didn't want back orders that a particular item that they ordered is not fulfilled at all. And in that case there would have to be some discussion with the purchaser as to how that should be handled. So the packing list accompanies our items that are coming into us from a vendor as kind of a, an, an accompanying document that gives us information related to the shipment. Now the packing list is prepared by the vendor and comes to us from that outside source. Within our organization, we create a goods receipt document. And although many of the documents that we have been talking about over the last few business process steps do have paper equivalents, you will still see, even within ERP systems, paper purchase orders and paper-based packing lists. But the goods receipt documents are almost inevitably electronic documents. And what the goods receipt document simply indicates is when we get an item in, this is where we document what items came in, how many came in, and perhaps even facts such as where we put the items. Now you'll notice in this particular sample goods receipt document, that isn't listed. What's simply indicated here is that we received a particular goods receipt, which has been assigned a number, the goods receipt came from Black Widow Skateboard in reference to our purchase order number 1546 and these are the items that were a part of that shipment. And so this is a way of our indicating that something that we have ordered has now actually been received into our organization. This is important because there will be times when things will come into our organization and it may take us time to process their actual receipt. Maybe, for example, items have to be inspected or maybe there's a particular process that we follow before we will accept them. And so the goods receipt document actually memorializes that yes, these items have now been received in our organization and they are available for use. The goods receipt document is a key document within an ERP system as an example of what is called a goods movement. Let's talk about the goods movement process here for just a moment to give you a sense of how this works within an ERP system and how the goods receipt document is a key driver within that process. Goods movements are a key element in material management. One of the focal points in material management is a company always knowing exactly what they have and exactly where it is. You can think about all of the things that organizations have to keep track of, equipment, raw materials, finished goods, and so on. And if we ever lose track of something, basically we might as well just throw it away or set it on fire at that point. Because if we lose track of it, we may never ever see it again. If it's not reflected in our computer system somewhere, then it's probably not going to ever be used. Um, going back to the job that I had in the past where I referenced the working for a, a book company. 
one of the things that would happen was occasionally we would have discrepancies in inventory and we would actually have items in inventory that did not show up on the computer system. And I can recall one time when a inventory was being done that someone discovered a pallet of books that were stored in a very unusual place in the warehouse. And for whatever reason, they never got inventoried through several cycles of the inventory process. And when we finally located those items and kind of pulled them out and looked at them, we noted that these were items that were like several previous editions of the book. You know, these were books that we weren't selling anymore and hadn't sold for quite some time, but they were still in the warehouse. They had basically been lost track of. Well, in regards to an organization and their using the various materials, if we lose track of something in our computer system, then it's as good as gone in most instances, unless somebody notices something out of the ordinary and takes steps to solve it. And so that is one reason why material management is of key importance. This is also a big reason why organizations that you might not immediately see as being associated with ERP systems actually find great value in ERP. For example, the US military runs ERP systems. Some of the branches of the US military actually run SAP and they use it primarily for things like ordering and things like material management. Knowing what weapons and what equipment or in what location so that things can be effectively moved around and nothing gets lost. It's a very, very important thing. Well, a goods receipt is a key type of goods movement. Obviously, it is the recognition that we now own something and have something that prior to this goods receipt taking place, we did not. Now, to give you a sense of the technical element of this, in SAP ERP, goods movements are classified by three-digit numbers. And there are over a hundred different kinds of goods movements. And these goods movements numbers tell us things like why the goods are moving, where they're going, and so on. So a goods receipt from a vendor is a kind of goods movement. A Another kind of goods movement would be when we ship an order out to a customer. That's kind of the inverse here. Now something that we did own, we no longer own, it's moving out of our organization. And so there's a goods movement number associated with that. When we transfer merchandise from one storage location to another in the same facility, that has a goods movement number. When we move things from one facility to another, for example, from one plant to another, that's another kind of goods movement. And so we have all of these different kinds of goods movements that we see, and there's a very obvious reason why we need to track each of these differently is because there may be accounting implications. If we move inventory from one warehouse to another, well, we're going to have to update the inventory counts. We may have to update the valuation of the inventory associated with those different facilities. And so knowing what we're moving and why and where it's going is a key fact for our ERP system to take care of. When a goods movement 
document is created for the receipt of goods, which is what a goods receipt document does, a number of other events take place. So once again, this is a great example of how one step in a business process triggers other processes to do their particular task. And going back to the example I used at the outset here, what this basically means is if we're thinking about the logic of programming these systems, you have a part of the system that is looking for the creation of these documents. And when it sees a particular document that has a particular goods movement number associated with it, then it says, oh, now I need to do this particular thing. And it does its particular process, and then it goes back and looks for more documents to be created. When a goods receipt document is created, a material document is created associated with the items that we have brought in. Now if a material document already exists, then that existing document may just be updated, but perhaps we have now received something that we've never actually had in stock before. We're now inventorying something that we never had inventoried before. So we're looking at either creating a new material document to record facts about this material or updating an, exi an existing one. An accounting document is created to store the accounting facts associated with the receipt of this particular item. And we'll come back to the accounting implications of the purchasing process here in a moment. Our stock quantities are updated. We now have to reflect having something that we did not previously have. The value of our stock is updated. One of the things that we do within our system is we track the quantities of stock and the values of stock separate from one another. For example, in the context of ERP SIM, we may have 15,000 boxes of a particular variety of cereal. And then we produce more, and so now we have 25,000, and then we sell a few, so we're down to 18,000, and our stock quantities are changing on a dynamic basis. Well, we want to know what's the value of our current stock. Well, in order to answer that question, we have to know what is our basis for valuation. How much is each box worth? And maybe we value our inventory at the price that we most recently purchased things for. And let's work through that example here for just a moment. Let's assume that we're buying something and we bought 10 of a given model laptop for $1,500. And we assigned eight of those to salespeople and so we still have two sitting in a storage closet somewhere. Well, we order three more laptops just for the sake of having them on hand for future salespeople to use, and these three new laptops that we ordered are now actually cheaper, and so we could buy them for $1,000 a piece. Same exact laptop, but because time has gone by, they've gotten cheaper. Well, we have five laptops in stock, so clearly the quantity is very easy to account for, but what's the value of those laptops? Do we account for the fact that some of them were bought at the $1,500 price point and some were purchased at the $1,000 price point and so we have to differentiate which is which and keep track of the value accordingly? 
Or might it not be logical to say, well, I have five of them, and even though some of them at the time I bought them cost me $1,500, the cost of buying them now is really only $1,000. Therefore, a more accurate value to associate with these five I have on hand is $5,000 because that's the contemporary price. And so there are different ways that we can value stock that accounting allows us some flexibility. And so we keep track of the quantities that we have and the value associated with those items as two separate elements. When a goods movement occurs for receipt of goods, the purchase order associated with that particular item is updated. And then lastly, other output may be generated within our organization based on our processes. For example, the goods receipt slip that we saw a moment ago, and then other things maybe such as pallet labels. For example, maybe as boxes come in, we affix stickers to the boxes that come out of a printer that we have that is other information that we want reflected for that item as it goes into the warehouse. And you probably have seen that before as you've ordered things from different vendors and received it. Sometimes there's tags and other notations on the box that are simply used for company internal purposes. And so we could set up our system so that when an employee puts in a goods receipt, the system automatically prints out certain stickers that they stick on the boxes to help us in inventory tracking. So back to our overall purchasing process here, we have now received the goods. Well, the next step in the process for us is getting the invoice from the vendor. And this is a hypothetical vendor invoice that we see. The invoice notice in section one lists who it is that the invoice is from. That's obviously a key element. In section number two, they reference our purchase order number and the terms of sale. We're kind of leaving the discussion of terms of sale for a later discussion when we talk about the fulfillment process. In section three, there's an itemization of the quantities and the items that were, po that were purchased along with any prices and such. And then in section four, there are instructions to pay or how to pay this particular item. So when we receive an invoice from a vendor, a very obvious question is, well, should we just go ahead and pay it? And in fact, yet another way that many businesses have been taken advantage of in the past is people will send invoices to a business for orders that the business never actually even placed. And they'll do that hoping that the company will just go ahead and pay it. You don't see as much of this anymore because people became very, very um, aware of it. But one of the things that photocopying companies used to do in the past was they would just ship companies refill toner cartridges and other things of that sort. Even if the company hadn't ordered it, they would just ship the merchandise to it along with the packing slip and then they would send them an invoice. And in many cases, the company would say, well, we got the item in, somebody must have called them and ordered it, so we'll go ahead and pay for it. And in fact, it was not a company that the business had placed an order with. It was just someone trying to get their business. So one of the things that needs to happen when we receive an invoice is we need to do a three-way match 
to make sure that this invoice that we received matches up with what we are expecting. And the key things that we are going to look at are do the terms match? We said in this case that we would pay them within 30 days and the invoice is reflective of that. We're going to look at the specific items and in particular we're going to focus in on the price per unit. Not only did they ship us the right item but did they bill us the right amount and did they ship us appropriate quantities. It's very logical things for us to check. As a part of this three-way match we have to go back and reference other documents that were a part of the procurement process. And so where would we find the terms of sale? Where would we find the quantities that we were expecting? And where would we find what we actually received? Well, the source documents that we're going to refer to here are we're going to look at our purchase order to make sure that this matches our purchase order. We're going to obviously use this invoice that we have received as another key document here. And then we're going to also look at the goods receipt document. And I think it's very important and logical for us to understand why really all three of those documents are essential. If we have the invoice and we have the goods receipt document but we don't have the PO, how do we know that the invoice shows the right prices? If we have the PO in the invoice but not the goods receipt document, how do we know that they really did send us 50 of those items? We know we ordered 50, we know that's the right price, but do we know that's what we really got? So what you used to see in purchasing organizations historically was we would have stacks of purchase orders and stacks of goods receipt documents and someone's job would be to go through and reconcile these. And that then becomes very, very challenging because you might have one purchase order that actually is spread out over multiple invoices. And so we have to make sure that we're marking off which things that we've gotten and which things we've paid for and which things we haven't. And it's very important for us to be accurate about when things have been paid and so on. And so in a manual process, there's a lot of potential headaches and complexity here. Within an ERP system, it becomes very, very easy for the system to automatically scan back through the various documents in the process to make sure that everything matches up and to alert us to any discrepancies that are noted. So once we have the invoice, the next step in the process here is pretty logical, and that is paying the vendor. And so some things to note about this. When an invoice is saved in our ERP system, so let's think about this for a moment. We receive a bill from a vendor, an invoice, and in order to start the payment process, we have to key that into our ERP system. Now, of course, as we mentioned before, just like with purchase orders, we can receive invoices electronically, so it might go into the system automatically. But nonetheless, one way or another, an invoice is going to be entered into our system. When an invoice comes into our system and is saved, notice from an accounting perspective what happens here and what is triggered as the next part of the process. When an invoice is saved, it applies the liability from the goods receipt of our purchase order to a vendor. So 
when we receive materials from a vendor, we now know we have to pay somebody for these items. And so we record that in a general way. When we receive an invoice, the invoice is basically a vendor saying, hey, those things I sent you, you need to pay me for that. And so when we receive the invoice from a vendor, that's when now we specifically associate that transaction with our need to pay a particular company, and that initiates the payment process. Now payment can be done automatically through something called a payment program. And this is what a lot of companies will do. They simply load in the invoices and then they run their payment program. And the payment program goes through, it does the three-way check. If everything is as it should be, it marks the purchase order as being fulfilled, it marks the invoices being paid, and it transmit payment to the vendor maybe through electronic funds transfer or printing of a check or whatever have you. But payment programs are a real time saver for people that work in accounts payable and in purchasing because most transactions, if all of the data is loaded into the system correctly, can be paid automatically very quickly. There are some companies that may elect to do manual payment of vendors, but of course there's not a lot of benefit to that in an ERP context, particularly if we have our system set up to do the three-way matches indicated. So typically the manual posting of payments is often only done in those situations where we need to send a payment for a particular obligation that we have that might be outside of the normal scope of the traditional three-way match. An example of this might be a situation where we get an invoice from a vendor who is building something from us, for us. And our agreement that we have with them says that when a particular item is halfway built, we will send them partial payment and then we'll pay in full once they've finished. Well, maybe we have gotten an invoice from the vendor telling us that they're halfway done, and maybe we send someone out to inspect it to make sure that that really is true. But at this point now, we do need to go ahead and pay that. We don't really have a goods receipt yet because we can't receive half of something. So this is outside the normal scope of how a payment program would work. And so something like that might require manual posting. Let's look at a couple of other elements associated with the procurement process that have importance to us. One is to look at how this is recorded within our financial accounting system. And we have two distinct elements that have accounting implications. One is when we receive the shipment, and then the next one that we'll look at is when we actually pay for it. Well, notice in this situation that on the left side of the square here, as far as the income statement goes, the shipment, the receipt of a shipment from a vendor has no impact at all on our income statement. Notice nothing is shown as changing there. When we look at our company's balance sheet, however, two things change when we receive a shipment. First of all, our inventory of something goes up. Now in this particular example, we show the inventory of finished goods going up, and that's fine if what we have bought is something that is a finished good, 
then that's how it would be reflected. Maybe, though, what we bought was a raw material. And so in that case, our raw material inventory would go up. The point is, we have bought something that has value, and so an asset somewhere is going to be increasing in value. Maybe we bought a new piece of equipment. Well, in that case, we might see our equipment asset valuation going up. To offset that on the other side of our balance sheets balancing equation, we see a liability go up, and that is the accounts payable liability. So once again, this is very logical. We have gotten something in from a vendor. Therefore, on the one hand, we have more stuff now, so our asset values go up, but we have to pay for this. Therefore, the liability represented by that obligation goes up as well. And they both go up by the same amount. So we're looking at increasing the value of an asset account and increasing the value of an accounts payable account. Well, the next thing that happens here is we will pay for this item. And so what happens when we pay for the item? Well, when we pay for something, we now have less cash than we did a few moments ago. And so we reduce the amount of money that we have in our bank account, but we've used that to pay a liability that we had. So now we reduce the amount of the liability. So our assets have gone lower and our accounts payable account has gone lower by a corresponding account. So notice in both of these elements, the procurement process is revenue, is revenue neutral. There is no impact in the procurement process for our income statement. When we actually use the items, which is a part of the production process, that is when the item costs get factored into our income statement. But when we buy things, that has no impact at all on our income statement. That's an important fact to keep in mind and also something that is a potential point of confusion. But the key thing to keep in mind is we don't actually see it impacting our income statement until we use it. And so just buying it has no impact at all. Having said that, it is important for us to realize that procurement does affect our cash flow. And many times students get those confused. It is possible for our income statement not to change at all and our cash go down. And that's what happens in this situation here. We have traded cash for merchandise. So we still have assets. If we buy $5,000 worth of materials, we now have $5,000 more in materials and $5,000 less in cash. So we have reduced our cash on hand, but we haven't in any way affected our revenue, our cost of goods sold, or our net income. So procurement is revenue neutral, but it also does have an effect on our cash flow because we have to pay for the items that we have purchased. One of the benefits that we have established associated with an ERP system is its ability to help us better monitor the execution of our business processes and better keep track of things. 
Well, let's look at some of the key things that we would want to keep track of in the procurement process that is aided by our use of an ERP system. For example, as far as the individual execution of one instance of the procurement process, we might want to find out what's the status of a purchase requisition. I requisitioned a new laptop last week. Where is it in the overall process? Has the requisition been acted on? Has a purchase order been created or sent to a particular item, to a particular vendor? Have goods been received for the requisition or the purchase order? Uh, when? Where are the goods? Those are things that I might be interested in. Beyond that, if I have received the items, have I gotten a bill for it yet? You know, that's one of the things that we might want to periodically check on if we have a goods receipt and no corresponding invoice after a period of time. And that sometimes has happened where a company will actually send us merchandise and because they're not on top of their business processes, we wind up never getting an invoice associated with it. Well, what are we going to do in that situation? I've worked for business people in the past where one of them felt very strongly that if they don't bill us, then we don't have to pay them. And I also worked for someone in the past who felt very strongly that no, we ordered it, we have an obligation to pay for it, and so they would be on the phone calling to ask about that. And, and by the way, I tend to put myself in the latter camp there for the sake of maintaining relationships for future transactions with the vendor. I think that that certainly is the right thing to do. So, you know, have we received an invoice associated with a particular goods receipt? Have we paid it? Um, if we've not received the items yet, when can we expect them? So clearly, as we think about the procurement process, there's lots of questions that would be very obvious within our organization for us to know about the execution of a particular procurement process instance. If we look at this more on the big picture level, there are lots of other things that we might want to look at. For example, just in general, we might want to look at our overall procurement process to see how effectively it is meeting the needs of our organization. Among the things we might want to look at is how much time does it take on average for us to get our orders fulfilled? And we might even want to look at that on a per material basis or a per vendor basis. And maybe some of our vendors are very prompt and some of our vendors habitually deliver late. Well, maybe we should factor that into the vendor selection process and reward those vendors who deliver promptly. Maybe, based on our historical analysis, we know that at certain times of the year, due to scarcity of resources, it takes longer for us to get in a particular kind of material. So we can adjust and at certain times of the year place our orders earlier so that we know that we're out ahead of the curve and we get those items in when we really need them. We can look at things like what items do we buy most often? I was uh, talking with a gentleman from a company in this region recently and uh, I'll leave the specifics out, but this was a company that purchased a lot of a particular product. 
And one of the things that they would do is they wanted to make sure that they tried to immunize themselves if the price of the materials that they needed fluctuated rapidly in the marketplace. And so what they would do is they would try and hedge their purchasing where if they saw that the items were very, very inexpensive, they would buy them in abundance. That way they could use them when the price turned up. And in those situations where they were doing forecasting and looking at the future, there were even times when they would buy more of the item than they needed at the time when the price was low, so that not only would they have it when the price went up, but they could actually sell it to other companies and make money off of the change in price fluctuation. And so you get into a lot of very interesting things you can do in materials management by studying things like the overall cost of items, what do we buy most often, who do we buy them from, and so on. And certainly this is not an exhaustive list of process level information that we could glean from the procurement process. There's lots of other things that we could look at and monitor as well. Well this particular slide summarizes all of the things that we have talked about. We're going back to here the five-step process as it came to us from your textbook. And notice what we're looking at here in step one with the creation of the requisition and if we focus in on the things going into and out of the database there we notice that in step one we're putting a purchase requisition into the system and that is going to leverage information about our inventory information about our materials and vendor data so the idea is we put a purchase requisition in and the system tells us oh you already have this item in inventory oh well I don't have to order it at all I can do internal sourcing or we put the purchase requisition in and it tells us what vendor can fulfill that for us well the next step in the process the purchase order is created by the system and the purchase order is going to leverage the information from the requisition material information that's in the system vendor data that's in the system and so on well then in step three we receive the shipment so the receiving data goes into the system and that's going to update the purchase order in addition to that we later receive the invoice and so the invoice data gets loaded into the system and purchase order and receiving data gets updated as well so that we know that now we have closed out this particular transaction or at least we will close it out here in step five once we actually transmit the payment and so that now is the completion of one cycle of our overall process iteration in the procurement process. Well, let's start or let's stop, wind things up back where we started, where we talked about the key things for us to know about all of the business processes that we have talked about. What's the purpose of the process? Well, the purpose of the procurement process is for us to get in materials that we need in order to maintain the smooth flow of operation within our organization. What is the trigger? Well, the creation of a purchase requisition is the trigger to the procurement process. What are the steps in the process? And we've looked at that several times, so I'll not go through them here, but we clearly know what the steps are in the process. 
what is the purpose of each step? And if we talked about that, maybe in the context of a test question, I ask you, what's the purpose of a purchase order? What's the purpose of a goods receipt document? What's the purpose of an invoice? Hopefully you can answer that at this point related to this particular process. What functional areas are involved in each step? We did not really emphasize that a lot in the discussion because it's pretty straightforward, but we did talk about the role of the warehouse, the role of the purchasing department, the role of the accounting department, and so on. We talked about the information being processed in each step. For example, we talked about the purchase requisition being updated when the purchase order is created. We talked about when the goods receipt document is created. Both the purchase requisition and the purchase order are updated. And in fact, that's pretty common in a lot of business processes where when the next step in the process occurs, documents created by all of the previous steps are updated so that we always have that current information. And as far as information exchanged, we talked about that as well, at least implicitly, where we talked about the purchase requisition being created and transmitted to the purchasing department. We talked about the purchase order being the exchange of information between us and our vendor. The invoice being information exchanged between our vendor and us. And so hopefully, as you have understood the things that we have talked about in this particular discussion, you now have insight into the fundamentals of a very important business process that companies rely on computer technology to support their execution of, and that is the procurement process. Take care.